Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. And welcome to New Books Network Fantasy and Adventure Podcast. I'm Gabrielle Matthew, the author of the Historical Fantasy Falcon series. My name is spelled M A T H I E U. And today we'll be talking with Kat Rambo, who's written many, many books. We'll be discussing her Tabat series, in particular, The Hearts of Tabat which I just read. And so I'd like to share my opinion of the book with you. The Hearts of Tabat is rich in emotions and description, though it revolves around a murder mystery as well. We experienced the imaginary port city of Tabat through the eyes of four different narrators, two merchants and two siblings from a poor household. Adelina, the secret publisher of a newspaper, and Sebastiano, a member of the Mages College who handles trade negotiations, both come from merchant families with high expectations. Neither Sebastiano's critical father or Adelina's overbearing mother are pleased with the careers their offspring have chosen. Into their lives come two people from a very different background eloquence and his sister obedience. Like most of the poor, they worship at the moon temples and therefore receive names based on personality traits. While eloquence, who has the good fortune to become a freshwater pilot, does have a gift with words, obedience doesn't fit her name. She struggles to escape the miserable apprenticeship the temple finds for her. As Hearts of Tabat begins, Adelina is still obsessed with her former lover, the famous female gladiator, Bella Canto. When she meets the charming eloquence, it seems she might finally be able to move on. But will eloquence's rigid ideas about his younger sister, obedience, ruin their relationship? Though the Hearts of Tabat has a strong romantic element, it offers suspense against the background of political unrest. The book plays out against a richly developed world, one in which mythical animals serve mankind and fuel machines. Revolutionary ideas about the magical beasts are developing. The murders that take place serve as a testament to that. Far from being mere beasts, the wonderful magical creatures that populate Cat Rambo's world have feelings and needs that human society will ignore at its peril. So a little bit about Kat. She's primarily a writer of fantasy and science fiction, although she does some editing work. She attended the Clarion West Writers Workshop in 2005, where she studied with Octavia Butler and Andy Duncan, among others. She also has an MA in writing from the writing seminars at John Hopkins University, where she studied with John Barth and Stephen Dixon. She's been nominated for Nebula for her short story, Five Ways to Fall in Love on Planet Porcelain, and a World Fantasy Award for her work with Fantasy Magazine. Kat is currently president of 
SFWA, the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America. Additionally, Kat has written two nonfiction books, including Creating an Online Presence. She loves to garden, cook, and engage in ideas. So I'm going to go ahead and welcome Kat to the show now from her home in Seattle. Today we're talking with Kat Rambo, and she's going to read an excerpt of her book, From the Hearts of Tabat. Panic froze Adelina, held her so she couldn't move despite the screaming in her head. Her fingers were tight around Leonoa's. She'd pause to let the tiny woman, hampered by her twisted frame, catch up amid the chaotic, crowded room. This is what a riot looks like. The flirtatious pink velvet of her skirt, darkened to sullen plum by spilled punch. Flickers of firelight dancing like angry fairies on the sticky surface. Two shattered windows, shards of broken glass highlighted by the glare from the etheric lights hanging over the street outside. Acetinic blue-white light washing in over the parquet floor that was Bernarda's pride. 230 different kinds of wood, each dedicated to a different trade god. Zebra-striped bits of southern wood and chips of mammoth ivory and black coral wood from the depths. Adelina tried to shut off the relentless writer in her head, but it had always been her first refuge from terror. More details. The punch bowl, shattered by the first brick that had come in, that had landed soundly in the middle beside the overturned table. Punch and bits of curved luster glass everywhere, a great puddle changing the colors of the woods beneath it, tinting them dark and rose and scarlet. Two paintings askew on the walls, others on the floor in a jumble that drew the eye as much as their impious and arresting subject matter. The cause that had set the riot off had lit the torches outside. How had they known about the paintings and their subject matter before the exhibition, she wondered. Someone must have known what the paintings would be like, must have tipped people off, organized the crowd. It was too orderly, too assembled. But who could have done such a thing? Adelina matched gazes with the most likely culprit, dressed in coin blossom colors and staring from across the room. Marta's eyes glittered hate at Adelina. Gods, even now the woman would rather hold her grudge against Bella and anything associated with her rather than worry about keeping herself alive in the middle of chaos. She remembered Marta from years ago in the merchant finishing school, as bitter and petty then as now, almost two decades later. This is what a riot sounds like. Angry shouts coming in through the windows, drowning out the frightened chatter all around Adelina. Bernarda, somewhere behind the scenes, ordering someone else to do something. It was unclear what, but her tones were unmistakable and imperious. The woman's best chances of keeping her gallery further intact had just walked out the door in order to stand down the rioters. So that's an opening scene set in Tabat. A great city, which, although it's a fantasy city, reminds me of a European city during the Belle Epoque. Tabat has flower stores, tea houses, and even a great tram that climbs to the top of the city. But in other ways, it's very different from Europe in that time period. Social structure and prejudices 
very, it's a different world. Sometimes there are three-way marriages, uh, different skin tones have different significance in Tibet. Can you tell us a little bit more about the world? You bet. That is, in fact, uh, two major features of the world. Uh, the first is that uh, the folks who have come to Tibet and established it have come from another continent, and they are primarily darker-skinned. Uh, they tend to be property owners. They tend to be the uh, upper social castes. While the folks who originally occupied uh, this country uh, are tend to be paler skinned, and they tend to be uh, more of the common laborers, uh, more of the sort of, they're regarded more as a sort of uncouth, less civilized. While at the same time, with as far as the gender stuff goes, I've, I've tried to do a couple of things. And one is, is that uh, there isn't the sort of usual heterosexual male-female dynamic. Uh, marriages tend to be much more about economic alliance than about anything else, although they can be shaped by uh, romantic desire and affection. And at the same time, as far as uh, roles within the house, uh, for example, the head of a house or uh, the person who's overseeing things, it can be as, as equally likely to be a female as it is a male. And Adelina, who is the woman who was narrating the piece you read to us, uh, she's had a recent liaison with a female gladiator, but currently she has two heterosexual suitors who are very different. She has Sebastiano, a man who can appreciate the pressure she's under from her mother uh, to confirm to her social status. And then she has Eloquence, who bonds with her through their shared appreciation for words. I don't want to give away to whom her heart belongs at the end, but what do you think are the advantages and disadvantages of each suitor? Well, eloquence is socially utterly unsuitable and would make her mother furious, which of course is part of his allure. But he is also a very beautiful, uh, well-spoken man, uh, he's a little bit modeled after uh, Samuel Clemens, Mark Twain, who's one of my historical mm -hmm. crushes. Um, and so he, he's beautiful. He's a wonderful writer. And of course, as a writer herself, she deeply appreciates that. While Sebastiano is much more suitable. He is from the same social class. He's a match that her mother would approve of and does approve of. He is uh, also someone that she's known since childhood. Uh, so they are longtime friends. And while he is not as uh, beautiful as Eloquence, although he dresses very well, he's very fond of a, a good outfit, uh, Sebastiano is, uh, he is extremely kind-hearted and, and I think very good-hearted. And that is one of the things that she discovers over the course of I think we all discover in the course of the book that Sebastiano Silvercloth is a kind man because he doesn't come across as a kind man in the beginning. He happens to meet Eloquent, 
eloquence without knowing that he's going to be a future uh, suitor of Adelina as well. And he doesn't like eloquence. In fact, he doesn't necessarily like everyone he meets. So how much do you think people like Sebastiano Silvercloth and his friend Adelina Nettlepurse, who is a merchant scholar, are influenced by their class standing and prejudices? They are so very much affected by uh, those innate prejudices and about the, by the things that they have been raised to believe are true. And that is one of the things that I wanted to explore in the book. And in one of the main things that's happening in the book is, in fact, uh, there is a revolution of sorts uh, happening where the intelligent, magical creatures who Sebastiano works with have been traditionally enslaved and are beginning to question that system. And so uh, Sebastiano starts at the book believing, of course, that that is absolutely the way things are. Uh, That is absolutely how the world is meant to behave. And part of the things that he has to confront over the course of the book is the fact that he believes that and he has to figure out whether or not he still does. And eloquence too is actually a prisoner of his belief system. We could say his younger sister is obedience. Another narrator in a book, she's a very likable character and eloquence does seem to like her too without sticking up for her all that much. Obedience is a smart, funny young girl, but she suffers at the hand of her family. And why does her family treat her the way they do? It's a combination of two things. And the part of it is that she's the youngest and the youngest always gets a a little picked on, but also that she doesn't fit in. Uh, She questions uh, a lot of the structures that they take for granted And they're not particularly happy with her about that. And so, you know, children can be just absolutely horrible to each other. And I think siblings can be particularly uh, awful. I mean, I'm not actually, my my siblings are awesome. (laughs) At this point. But, you know, kids, kids can just be awful to each other. And so she's, she's very much a bullied character. And it's not till she can kind of get outside that structure uh, that she begins to achieve something closer to happiness. So you've got four different characters in your book. Uh, you've got Obedience, Adelina, Sebastiano, and Eloquence. It's a truism that writers create characters based on their own personas. And which one of the characters represents you the most? I would... Definitely say Adelina, uh, primarily because she's a writer and she knows that odd feeling that writers have where you are simultaneously living one's life and observing it in order to write it and figuring out, you know, how you would go about writing it. Uh, So Adelina is uh, very much uh, that side of me. But at the same time, I think uh, Sebastiano is another side of me, which is the uh, critter-loving side. Uh, My family will tell you I am always the person who will go to uh, the animal in the room, sometimes before the human being in the room, 
and then I just I like I like animals, and I think uh, Sebastiano was a chance to write about that. And in fact, uh, the Griffin that he is good friends with was just a, a fun, mm-hmm. fun interaction. To well, write. with a name like Cat Rambo, even though it isn't uh-huh. a made-up name, it does fit that you would like animals. So on to another character. She's a peripheral one in this book, although she's a central character in the first book, Beasts of Tabat. Bella Canto, the famous female gladiator. And I was intrigued because she fights to preserve winter every year. She fights against spring. And I would have thought it would be the other way around. Yeah, so Bella has been taking part in a yearly ritual battle for over two decades. And when she first comes into it, uh, she is spring, because each year the person who is new to the fight, uh, sort of the the challenger, so to speak, if we were speaking in uh, uh, wrestling terms, uh, is spring. And they have to overthrow winter. And if they don't overthrow winter, if winter wins... uh, then it actually affects the physical weather and winter lasts longer, lasts uh, an extra month, basically, Uh, which is a little kind of, it's a takeoff on the the groundhog uh, legend. But Bella was uh, spring the first time. And since then she has assiduously defended the uh, title of winter in such a way that people are pretty unhappy. Yeah, with she's certainly a figure for scrutiny, but uh, and she seems to be very popular. But as it turns out, just like our society, uh, from hero to villain isn't a very big step. Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking about uh, roles and magic, there are also two competing religions in your book. There are uh, the trade gods that are worshipped, and then there is also the moon temples. And so I'd like to hear a little bit more about the tenets of each of those religions. Okay. So for me, religions are usually attempts to explain the world in a particular way. And the trade gods are each embodiments of economic forces. And so the two main trade gods are actually the gods of supply and demand. And I forget what their trade god name is. There's an elaborate uh, morphology of trade god names that I've worked out. Um, But there's a huge number of trade gods because I am interested in economics and I think it's fun to kind of give every little aspect of economics its own little god or godlet to oversee it. Uh, so the trade gods, and they're also, it, it's a way of perceiving the world, right? If you perceive the world in trade god mm-hmm. terms, you understand a lot of the economic factors that are going on. And as a merchant, that's very useful, right? It gives you a, a sort of way to live that lets you maximize profit. Um, while at the same time, the other set of, of the other religious system is based on the fact that there's three moons, a white moon, a red moon, and a purple moon, uh, which have different moon cycles. And it is a religion which is where the trade gods is practiced by the upper classes. The moon god system is practiced by the lower classes. And it is a religion that says basically things are as they are destined to be. Uh, The way that the moons move in the sky 
predict the way the world will turn. Uh, and there really isn't a way to affect your own destiny. It's a very much a, a predetermined existence. So religion can be the opiate of the working class in that case. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, very much so. Well, your world also contains many mythical cre- creatures, some critters reimagined in novel ways. We have the griffin, Sebastiano's friend. He lives in a college of the mages stable and an oread works in a flower shop. There's also a giant hive of fairies on display in the college of mages. Do you have a favorite? And if so, which one is it and why? Oh, it's definitely the griffin. Uh, Partially because I love Griffins. Uh, when I was a kid, I worked in a bookstore called The Griffin, uh, which is still around in, in Indiana. And so Griffins have always been, uh, I think they're just cool creatures. And, and plus, they're, they, they've got the best of both cat and bird. And I think that's a, a nifty combo. I have had both cats and birds, and I, I think they're lovely. Uh, so, yeah, the, the griffin is, is definitely, although I will say the hive mind of the fairies is kind of fun, too. Yeah, it's fun to imagine them popping in and out. Yeah. Well, you've also created your own cuisine for Tabat, including uh, chow, which is fish tea. And you yourself live in Seattle now, which is known for abundant seafood. I'm just wondering if your friends and students can expect fish tea when they come visit you. Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I imagine the fish tea, it's basically sort of a a highly caffeinated soup as much as as anything uh, Mm -hmm. else. Um, something you slurp. <laughs> that's it. Something you slurp. And it's also one of the things about the city is that every tea shop has its own kettle of this soup that's been brewing for sometimes years and years and years. So it's <laughs> one of those ongoing soups. Yeah, um, it could be fermented at that point. It could be. But I know I don't, I myself do not make fish tea for people, I'm much more likely to give them coffee because here in Seattle, it is obligatory to give yes. them coffee. With all that fog, they need That's a little right. bit of warming up. <laughs> well, uh, what are you working on these days, Kat? I am writing the third Tibet book where we return to Bella Canto, who has been sent away from Tibet. And uh, that t- the title of it is Exiles, of Tibet. And so it follows Bella's adventures and also the adventures of obedience. Oh, good. Yeah. I'd be happy to know about what happens to her. Yeah. Big events in store for obedience, actually. Well, thanks so much for taking time out of your schedule to talk to us today. And we look forward to the next Tibet installment. Thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us today on New Books and Fantasy and Adventure for my interview with Kat Rambo. She's the author of the Tabat series, including the book we discussed today, Hearts of Tabat, as well as many other works. You can visit Kat's website at www.kittywampus.net slash blog. Kitty Wampus is K-I-T-T-Y W-U-M-P-U-S You can also follow her on Twitter at Kat Rambo, C-A-T-R-A-M-B-O. She tweets quite often. 
I'm your host, Gabrielle Matthew, the author of the historical fantasy Falcon series. I blog about travel and other things which inspire me on my website, GabrielleMatthew.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter to get updates about new podcasts and more. At Gabrielle Author, my name is spelled G-A-B-R-I-E-L-L-E. So talk to you again in September when I'll have anthropologist Wade Davis on the show to discuss his travels amongst different cultures. And that's quite an adventure. Till next time.